0: Welcome, crafties, to another edition of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. And what is this? I catch on the breeze. A faint waft of aroma. Jasmine, perhaps, or or peonies, or is it even lotus blossom? I know not, but it is a floral scent. <coughs> Perhaps this heralds the arrival, one of D&D's most sought-out deities. It is the Dragon God himself, Bahamut, the Grandmaster of Flowers. Covert Go Blue, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, buddy? Was,
1: was Covert Go Blue always the Grandmaster of Flowers, or was like like has this been a development? Like, like I'm Batman? Like, like, you never saw CGB and the Grandmaster
0: of Flowers in the same room together. It's just a fact. You know when the dude takes off his glasses and it's like, whoa, he was Superman all along, (laughs) right? (laughs) So
1: now you can't not see it is what you're telling me after you made that joke. what I'm saying. I just, you know,
0: I looked at you different and here we are, man.
1: Dude, on YouTube channel, uh, and they also posted this on Twitter. So check out our Twitters. Uh, Dragonstorm Studios did a fan art drawing of me as the Grandmaster of Flowers. And now it's just, it's over. you've you've destroyed my career i think
0: i should i should sue someone (laughs) in one episode i destroyed a white legendary dragon and and i discovered another one i mean it was a good time man it was a good time uh but anyway yeah go go check out that channel check out the art it's epic i also loved how they managed to work a couple yarians into it as well you know just for the branding
1: I I feel like that was done just to pacify me a little.
0: (laughs) Just to kind of... How could I hate it? Keep the God's wrath at bay, right? How could I be angry at Yorian? How? So, yes, we have been adventuring widely in the Forgotten Realms this past week. We promised you that we'd be doing an overview of the format. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing this week. And i i don't know man it's like so cgb i want to ask you like what have you been playing what have you been getting up to over this Mm -hmm. past week but i kind of feel like we're gonna spend the entire episode talking about that we are so we do want to talk about the format i kind of want to dive in yes but i think we can't help but first mention the fact that there has already been a banning in standard 2022 we didn't even get one week in man and they've already banned some broken combo. Maybe it slipped by R&D. Maybe it was a plan all along. I don't know. But what do, you, what do you think about this book banning? They banned the Book of Exalted Deeds because you can put the counter on Faceless
1: Haven and create a situation where nobody can win the game and no one can lose the game. Um, Platinum Angel is like a beloved card by sickos who like prison style effects and the nonsense that it just kind of breaks. It's another one of these cards that takes the rules and breaks the rules. I mean, it says in the fricking rule book, a player loses the game. They used to come. I, I played Magic when, when the starter deck came with the little rule book. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Look them up on eBay. Yeah, I do remember. EBay. Yeah,
0: it was classic yeah. books. Yep. They
1: actually sell those on eBay now, those little paper books. Um, And yeah, it says in there millions. that you lose the game when you you know fall to zero life or when you cannot draw a card from your deck. And then we make cards that break the rules. And it's one of the cool things about Magic is that they always kind of had that Ability to break the rules. Uh, But I don't like this is kind of a silly way to do it. And the the idea that if two people we talked about this on the show last week, I believe if two people both have the combo, then it becomes an endurance test. Like who yeah. who has mom or wife or husband bringing food into the basement so that they and uh, who has the largest bottle under their desk to make sure that they can continue just clicking every single turn uh, until the other <laughs> gives in and I guess the wizards just took a look at that and was like now nah, we banned Nexus from best of one we're gonna get rid of book but do you find it weird that they got rid of book um, from Standard 2022 only, but not from best of one.
0: Yeah, I I do think that that is a little odd. I wonder if they just thought that it's a much narrower format and a weaker power level format, and that's why they did it. True and true. Because, I mean, it's like Embercleave don't really care about your book, Faceless Haven combo, right? So uh, And, and like, same with rogues, you know? It's like you're not going to slip that one past rogues, I don't think. So I think that it's okay, um and I even if, even if they hadn't banned it to be honest I would have just put it into the like Tybalt's trickery category and just kind of moved on. So uh, for me I don't have much of an opinion either way. I'm kind of cool with it. I'm cool with it out. I didn't play against it once in the queue and uh I wasn't expecting to really. Mm-hmm. So I feel mostly indifferent on this topic. Um yeah. I okay. There is something that I felt kind of, like, meh at first, and
1: as time has gone by, I've been getting angrier and angrier. They didn't give any wild cards. Yeah, this was a sticking point for you? It wasn't at first. Mm. I was like, okay, I'm not that surprised, because it really only is banned from this one queue. The more I thought about it, the more it's like, wait a minute, you guys created this queue that is pretty hype. We're both hyped about it. Mm Mm-hmm. You created these cards and released them for a week, and, like, people... Like, who's to say that people didn't get excited about this prison kind of combo and craft it and try it out? I streamed it. I made a video with it. A lot of other people did with the kind of... Thing that you can play it in this queue that's going to be around mm-hmm. for a few weeks. And and then to just ban it from that queue, say you get nothing, and say, well, you can go play it in standard, you know, but good luck with that. It's like, no, you made this queue, and you made these cards, and you said these cards were legal for this queue, and I want to play this queue. And it's not like it was even taking over the meta. So what about mm-hmm. the people who just crafted it because they wanted to play the life game deck? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I... The longer I've thought about it, the longer I think that that is just a really bad move. Why? Who are they to tell you, hey, you don't like, you know, you don't get it in this queue, but we're not giving you wild cards, so just go play something else. No. Like, you made the game, you made the queue. I want to play the queue.
0: Like, yeah. I mean, I I think there's a certain validity to that. Maybe I'm just someone who didn't personally get burned by it, so I don't care that much. Um, I... I can see the logic of being like, there are many, many formats of Magic and this is the only place you can't play it. I think it stings a little bit more to know that this was maybe like the only queue where it was actually a competitive thing to do, right? This is the only queue where you had a reasonable chance of pulling it off consistently. So I think that that does kind of lend to the feels bad a little bit. I think that sometimes people get a little overzealous and like clamoring for wild card reimbursements. You know, they're like, "Well, they ban it from standard. I should get my wild cards there." And then if they ban it in historic, you know what, wizards? I want my wild cards there too. And if you ban it in my, you know, best of one standard twenty twenty two queue, guess what, wizards? You're giving me wild cards again. And I think at some point, I can understand wizards being like, "Nah, bro, just you know, just kind of get over it." Yeah, that's that's
1: where I was. That that is exactly where I was before. Because I agree with you on all of that. But yeah. I the, the longer I've sat with it, the more I think this is different.
0: Well, and I, I see why this feels different. And also the okay, so here's the other side of it, right? It just it doesn't cost much to generate goodwill, right? Just give people their wild cards back don't worry wizards they'll spend those mythic wild cards on something else they'll keep playing your game you know it's just like it's it's kind of like be generous right yeah be generous it it yeah. really it costs them nothing in my why, opinion why you hate you why you hate us wizards why yeah why? dude you know why? just just be kind to us we love your game we just want any amount of kindness and we'll keep playing your game so so i mean when you put it like that it's kind of like come on Brad, just just pony over you know agreed So that happened. I mean, you know, we almost wonder if Wizards just wants us to hate them now, right? They're like, ooh, (laughs) ooh, what if we did this? Yeah. I found found an amazing amount of
1: power in just being the hateable one.
0: Like, I really did.
1: Maybe that's where Wizards is at. Maybe they've got some evil Wizards of the Coast running things now. They tried to be the good guy.
0: They got attacked for it. And now they're just, we're the villain. It's what it is. Yeah, it's like... Imagine if every time Gandalf showed up in the Shire, they just had like a million complaints for him, you know? They were just like, <laughs> Gandalf, you took too long. Gandalf, this format sucks. Gandalf, Gandalf you're late. <laughs> you're late. That's- that spell you cast was too powerful. None of the rest of us can keep up. And he was, you know, Gandalf was just like, all right, screw it. I'm moving into the White Tower. <laughs> i <I'm teamed laughs> up with Sauron. Let's go. Plebs. Yep. So anyway... Yep that happened but meanwhile the rest of us middle-earthers the rest of us forgotten realmers were busy churning away in the queue just going to town with whatever particular archetype we felt like exploring and kovako blue i don't know about you but i've been playing a lot of different decks in the queue this past week and it's been really sweet i like i think this format is really fun it's also funny because so, you know, I've been in Mythic, I've been in numbered Mythic, and I kind of expected at some point to hit that place where it was just like, all oops, all mono green, right? Or oops, all dragons, or oops, all Demir mm. control. And I've been shocked by like, how much memeing there is still <laughs> okay. on the ladder. Like, I I was trying to do some research, right? I wanted to just like really get clear on the metagame and whatever, and you know i played for like four hours last night and i would say 60% of my matches were just like haffrey ghost Forged meme decks and <laughs> stuff like that so what? i don't know i don't know if that's been your experience as well no maybe, what maybe are i need you to playing maybe i need to <laughs> climb higher on the ladder to get to that like super sweaty pocket but, i mean if you're if you're a numbered mythic you, you don't go much higher like that's what i, I was thinking right I think that the
1: matchmaker like kind of identifies what you're running and tries to pair you up against something similar. And sometimes that creates weird matchups. But mm. I mean, I am curious about what you were running. So I guess we have to get to that to maybe try to get to the bottom of how you
0: find the memers in Mythic. Sure. I mean, I it, admittedly, I wasn't running probably the most competitive deck. I was trying out a Naya brew. It was just Your classic kind of take the standard list, cut out all of the good cards we can't play, try to make the mana base work, you know, try to still play the good cards, which we can play and go from there. Like Nye Adventures? With no adventures? Well, yeah, it's like Nye Adventures without the adventures, you know, it's fine. You
1: know, you know, ventures aren't the same as
0: adventures. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, what's the difference? It's one consonant, right? Okay. Well, we got there eventually. but you know uh gold spend like turn three gold spend dragon feels pretty good and showdown of the skulls is still a powerful magic card and so you know we were just trying to kind of jam with that stuff and ramp out some powerful cards and put a bunch of tokens on the docks and go from there that kind of thing okay so this brings me to i i don't know man i think maybe we should do you want to just make some broad observations of the format first and then we can get more specifically into this, the decks? Absolutely. Okay, so this brings me to my first observation of the format, which I think should be fairly obvious if you start playing it, but just to be perfectly clear, it's really, really hard to play more than two colors in this format. And I think that most of the decks that are playing a third color are like really treasure heavy, right? That are kind of like maybe like a Rakdos treasure list, which is splashing a third color, or, you know, maybe some kind of green-based list, which is, you know, maybe you're using your innkeepers to, like, in my Niall list, for example, as kind of splashing red. Prosperous innkeeper, by the way, to the be Yes, <laughs> Cla- Clarify on which innkeeper we're talking about. The uh, the Middle Earth innkeeper, as it were, the Hobbit innkeeper. That's that's the first place to start, and I think that one of the the biggest tensions that I have thus far discovered in this format is do I, if I'm building any kind of a list that has a chance of being monocolored, why would I want to play two colors when I could just go monocolor and play Faceless Haven? Because I think Faceless Haven has definitely proven itself to be one of the absolute best cards in the format. It It's the kind of card that is worth completely warping your deck around because it really is that good. So... I don't know. These are some of my musings on the on the mana bases because I think that's really important. What are you thinking about that? So I think that you can play three colors, but it's like, like you said, you use the
1: treasures to kind of splash a color. So for example, I don't think it's very wise to play a deck that has um, the Desert Doom, which is double blue, and Liliana, which is double black, Professor Onyx that is, and Doomscar, which is double white, like yeah, you're 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 just asking for pain, misery, sadness. It it's so awkward. Or you're just asking for every single land you play to enter the battlefield tapped if you're going to try to get away with it that way. I do. Uh, I have seen some pretty cool stuff both watching and playing myself with like you play a treasurish shell with prosperous innkeeper or the um, artist.
0: What's it called? Yeah. Kilt, yep. Say it again. Killane. Killane. Yeah. Killane something artist. Colleen, I, I want
1: to say blood artist, but it's not blood artist. Yeah. Blood yeah artist something is like that, artist. right? Yep. Is a painter? Something painter?
0: Maybe. Nasty Painter.
1: Nasty Painter. Blood Painter. painter. Anyway. Tre- yeah. Treasure Painter. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Colleen is a good one. Prosperous Innkeeper is a good one. The Shambling ghast is there. It's kind of an option. Magda is a really good one. Jasper Sentinel oh. is really good with all these cards that we mentioned. Yeah. And so you can play... Like your two colors have to revolve around these early drops. So, like if you're green and red, you you play like Magda and the Sentinel. If you're uh, black and red, you play the Painter and the Magda and the Shambling Gas maybe. And then your lat like you can splash one card that Mm -hmm. uses like one or two mana of any color off of these treasures. So mm-hmm. like you can just randomly have All Runs Epiphany as your top end in this deck or Coma that, that didn't have to be there. Or you can play Showdown of the Scalds in a deck like this where you're just gonna use your treasure or your Despera Sentinel to make the mana and maybe you throw in some pathways and no basics. But it's it's kind of weird that we live in a world where your three color deck is really a two-color deck with rando splash one card but that that is actually important because a lot of the two color decks when you play them they're missing something
0: yep yeah they're it. just
1: they're just a card short because it's such a small format and some of the cards are really good and then there's like a a gap right and you don't mm-hmm. want too many cards that fall into the gap or you're just playing a hand with eye twitch and shambling ghast and uh you know uh some some bad cards you're just playing yeah, a weak draft deck. draft commons right but but you slot in a showdown of the skulls that just kind of comes from having some free treasure
0: mana and all of a sudden like your deck is powerful just yeah. like that so it's a big deal yeah no, that's exactly it. So, so yeah, it's um, mana bases are super important, and I think that this highlights that we've been kind of getting away with it in Standard for a while. I wouldn't say that the mana in Standard was perfect. Like, we lost Shocklands, for example. That was a really big loss. Um, you know, the Triomes were limited to only 5 of the 10 possible combinations. So, you know, it's not like the mana was great, but I, but I still felt like they were good enough. You could just draft up a deck and just kind of throw in all the lands you'd expect to play and say, "Ah, eh, good enough." And it was like kind of okay. Pathways and Fable Passage got a lot done. They, like they really they went did. a long way, right? Yeah. They went a long way. And in this format, I feel like I'm up at night sweating, thinking of my mana bases in this format because it's hard, dude. It like it is really hard to put together a functional mana base. You really have to look at the cards you want to play. If you want to play Faceless Haven in a two-color deck, you got to really think about it, man, because those tapped snow duels are just awful. They are awful, (laughs) awful, awful magic cards. And so whatever you're doing has to be really worth it. So that's kind of the first thing that I want to comment on here is that I really think that one of the skill ceilings of the format is mana bases, and I think that you, you should probably spend more time thinking about your mana bases than you ordinarily would. And that makes me want to lean into the creature lands a bit. Mm-hmm.
1: They're pretty much all of the creature lands are really good because they just give you this ability to keep attacking every turn of the game, like at all times, which makes it really hard for control to even exist, though it can, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But they all have a cost. Like faceless faceless ha- none of this is free. Faceless haven, any of the creature lands, whatever colors you're in, like all of these come with a cost, and the numbers aren't clear. Are you supposed to just run four havens and four layer of the hydras in mono green? I mean, maybe probably not. I I, I certainly have, but I've also been got by the mana base. Are you supposed to run like two and two? I've had a lot of spots where I didn't have a creature land and I really needed one. Um So yeah, like there's a lot of cost benefit analysis and it's, it's the kind of conversations that I just have trouble having with my YouTube audience because in a comment, why no dot, dot, dot. It's like, well, that's a really freaking complicated question in this case. (laughs) Yeah. Because in the past it was just kind of free to throw in a creature land here if it was in your colors. And here it is like your curve is important. Your snows are important. Your colors are hard. Everything about the mana base is a lot more difficult than normal. So the best advice I have is to spend a lot of time working
0: on your mana base or copy somebody who makes good ones. Yes, yes. (laughs) Both time-tested approaches. Um, Even if someone's playing the same color combo as you and the deck even has kind of a different plan, you can still just learn a lot about looking at their mana base, right? Just, you know, it's like, what's Paulo Vitor doing? What's Brad Nelson yes. doing? They're probably good people to, you know, even if your deck's a little different, just frickin' swipe the mana base, it'll probably be fine. And the last thing I want to say about that is that some of the reasons you could be a little bit lazy with your mana bases in more powerful formats sometimes is that sometimes you have like a turn four play that just kind of ends the game or you have a turn six play that ends the game. You know, so you can, you can get away with maybe like having a bad turn or taking a turn off when you're pretty much reliably going to cast Emergent Ultimatum and win the game on turn whatever. Um, in this format... You, you don't have that luxury there are very few like super powerful game ending things you can do and so what you play every turn really 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 matters it's also a very fast and very aggressive format so taking a turn off can just really really punish you in this format and unless you're playing cards like all epiphany it can be really hard to catch up
1: you think it's a fast and aggressive format huh
0: i mean that has been my observation Hmm,
1: I, I'm excited to get into this, and we should probably yeah. start, you know, when we move into specific decks and the polls of the format, I'm sure we should start with aggro. But
0: yeah. uh yeah, I'll just tease for the future that I'm not sure it's going to stay that way. Yeah, perhaps not. Perhaps not. Okay, so yeah, let let's start talking about that. I mean, definitely week one, of course, people like to get aggressive. It's just kind of an easy way to you know, break into a meta you're not really sure about, just have a solid game plan, be very proactive. If you're not really sure what you need to play around, just pick the best creatures in your color and jam them.
1: Or if you just like winning a lot, and everybody else is figuring out that mana bases are hard to build, and you can just farm them with
0: mono color, you can go that route. Indeed, indeed. So my discovery so far in this format is that I think that there are a number of good mono colored decks but i think that by far the best one is still mono green i agree out of all of the things that people have experimented with i think mono green has stood the test of time in this format so far i mean it hasn't been that much time but i think that this deck is it's really strong it's a problem you gotta be ready for it it's just a very very good deck what, do you, what are you thinking about mono green right now it's by far the most played in like the matches that I've played,
1: like and by a lot, we're talking closing in some days on over twenty percent of the meta. It seems like, uh, and nothing else I think is over ten. So that that is that that's a lot. Um, and I think it's the most generic like go to if you are trying to brew and it's not going well for you and you feel like you want to rebuild your rank or stop with the nonsense and get some wins like going to mono green usually does the job when you come up against a brew because it's very very hard to tune a deck around beating mono green and i think people are working on it and i think it's going to work out i don't think mono green is a broken deck i think it's i think it's very hard to stop and i think it's the easiest thing to turn to when you want that dopamine rush of victory in a best of one queue so uh yeah mono green is a really good deck i'm still not sure about man it's crazy but i'm still not sure what the right configuration of lands is with the hydras and the havens i'm also got about four spots in the deck i'm not sure about a lot of people are running tangled florahedrons and just saying, "Hey, if I make a land drop every turn, I'll probably win." Or if I make enough mana, I'll probably win. But I've been having a lot more success with a card you talked about last week—the ooze, the ordinary ooze—and I'm also really wanting to get some like battle mammoth
0: action because I found that there are a lot of decks that just have trouble killing something big. So I'm really, really glad that you're bringing this up because I think that this is the current break point in building mono green is. Do I want to go really stompy or do I want to go kind of rampy? On one end of the format, you have like there was this list that crokies built like in like day one or day two, perhaps like the very most early part of the format, which I'm pretty sure was for Jaspira Sentinel for Tangled Florahedron yep. list. Crokey's obviously thinking that just powering out a board, like a huge board presence on turns, maybe three, four, five, was just going to be like an insurmountable way to to beat the format. So that was definitely one philosophy on mono green. Personally, I've, I mean, I've played a lot of mono green. Some things change, some things don't, in my opinion. And I've never been a huge fan of running mana dorks in mono green because this is kind of what I've found okay, playing a Seeker's Chariot on turn three, yeah, that can be pretty strong. But you know what else is pretty strong is just like playing a 3-3 on turn two, and then playing an old growth Troll on turn three. And then, you know, it's like, if you just put a threat on the board every single turn, I think the theory for me is that mono green tends to win on like turn five, or even on turn four, just Kind of by default, your opponent just looks at what's going on and they're like, I'm never going to stop that train. So personally, I have also been having more success by just trying to basically put like a must kill threat on the board every single turn of the game and just smashing face every single turn of the game. I've also in my games against mono green, you know, I've, I've been playing all kinds of random decks and I have also found that sometimes mono green stalls out super hard when their opening hand is something like two Jaspira sentinels, you know, maybe like um the the what's that one drop that comes in with a counter, swarm shambler. Swarm shambler, exactly. So so they have like maybe one of those, they have an asika's chariot and then a couple lands. And like, if your one boom boom in your ramp hand gets countered or dealt with, then you're left with just like a bunch of dorks on the field. And I've found it very, very easy to win games where my opponents just drew too many dorks and didn't draw enough boom booms, and especially when they were like building a board presence of dorks in the early turns of the game, and I was building a board presence of really relevant, threatening creatures. Sometimes you can just put mono green on the back foot. So these are kind of my observations so far. What, what have you been... Finding in that head-to-head between the Rampy version and the Stompy version. At risk of going into becoming a mono green show.
1: Uh, but yeah, I, I do have some things I'll try to hit on quickly. So in the aggro versus aggro mirrors, it's typically creature sizing and like card advantage that comes with creature sizing that decides them, not necessarily who makes who makes the most mana. Uh, so I think that with green being the most popular deck, it makes a lot more sense to get into a version that can make the bigger creatures. I, I think that that matters a lot. So I like going the way of like re- the ooze and the battle mammoth and maybe even the, the new ooze, the jelly that you can just pump X oh, into. interesting. Yeah, that's okay kind of jelly. a grindy card for aggro. You know what yeah. I mean? It's really good if you have a lot of ways, not just ranger class, but plenty of ways to put plus one plus one counters on things too. So, uh, like, I've been running Inscription of Abundance because I want more Blizzard Brawls, and that card has been impressive
0: in uh, the large creature mono green. It just has been a blowout very often. Blizzard Brawl is savage, easy far of, and I totally agree. In my list, I was also looking for ways to try to get more fight spells in. So, yep. Yeah, I would say that the ramp
1: version is more likely to run all the creature lands. Like, four layer mm, of the Hydra, four Haven. Sense. And that's what, yeah, that's yeah. what crokies did, because you always need that mana sink once you get cooking. And if you can just keep powering up large creature lands and attacking every turn, you can probably win. Whereas the ramp version needs to curve. You know, it, it needs like double green into triple green into... Do you, do you mean yeah. that the stompy version... yes i do my bad. yeah the stompy version needs to curve so it's more likely to run like three three or four layer of the hydras no havens maybe one because you need double green triple green and then you need four mana to play something else and yeah
0: you you just got to be dropping the bombs all the time Yep, absolutely so yeah that's my version it's actually interesting that we're talking about the lands because my version was maybe greedy um, I was playing Stompy, and I was running four Faceless Havens and one Lair of the Hydra. Um, personally, it worked out okay. It's possible that I was just getting lucky. Um, I did have some games where it ended up being an issue, but I usually found that you know I was able to keep curving by maybe playing out my um my Mammoth Land. I, I'm so bad Kazandu Mammoth. Mammoth, dude. I got you. Kazandu Mammoth. Yep, yep. So like maybe I'd play a Kazandu Mammoth instead of the ogre and or the troll, and you know maybe it wasn't the optimal thing I could have played on that turn, but it still kind of worked out enough of the time. Um, but it's it's true that maybe if I went back and was a real grown up about my mana base, I might switch to something like a two and two split, or in the very least maybe a three and two split, um, yeah. just a way to kind of mitigate that problem. So that's definitely something for grown-ups to think about. A card that I ended up being quite impressed with was the Gnarly Professor. Oh, yeah. So I was looking for a curve topper. And again, because you're not ramping in the list that I'm running, I was kind of fine with my curve topping out at four. And one of the things that I like about the Gnarly Professor is that it's in a very good breakpoint in the format. Um, it It's something that you can attack into an in Imrith, which I like. It's something that dodges all of the removal which the black-based, the, the Demir control decks... I mean, sorry, it dodges the sweepers that the control decks play. Crippling Fear, Shadows Verdict. Yep, it's too big for the minus three, minus three. It's also too big for the Verdict. So I really like that about it. And then even if your opponent does get a Soul Shatter off on you or something, you still got some value out of the card. So I've been happy running two gnarly professors at the top end of my curve and just kind of calling it good um so has has the battle mammoth been working out for you i think that a gnarly
1: professor is really good too i i I think it's like two mammoth and i wouldn't even craft them if you don't have the mythics because i don't think it's that much better i I think it's like like four three or four gnarly professors two mammoth in that version something like that and you want the chariots too you just need a lot of like sweet four drops um chariot is legendary though so maybe it's a three what do you fetch
0: Yeah, okay, so I have actually often been fetching... I mean, it depends on the mana. If I'm flooding, I might go for the mascot exhibition if it feels like I actually have a chance of casting that. Most of the time, I don't get that far with my mana. I have actually really, really been enjoying the uh, anatomy. What is it, expanded anatomy? That's what I was hoping for, yeah. Okay, that card is surprisingly gas in this format and not just in mono green. I think in any... Any creature deck looking to turn sideways, I think it's been very solid in mono-white, right, a mono-white running Professor of Symbology. I think that, that card is surprisingly good. And it's actually a really good combo with the gnarly Professor. Like, I've found that, especially like in mono-green mirrors, if you can be the person swinging with a, you know, what is it, a 7-6 trampler the following turn, like, that can really put a lot of pressure on your opponent. So that's that's... One of my main grabs with that. In my blue control decks, with divide by
1: zero, and no creatures other than Imrith, I take expanded anatomy pretty often.
0: (laughs) Yes! I mean, vigilance (laughs) on that thing is amazing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, freaking crack for seven with your Imrith and then have it on blocks. Let's go. If you had told me expanded anatomy was a card I'd be putting in my learn
1: boards, I'd I'd have just probably thrown up. (laughs) Dismissed it instantly, but uh it's true. I'm fetching
0: that card all the time, almost always with mono green too. Almost always. Yeah, because at that mid-stage of the game, I think often there is only two real things that you're considering. One is can I get out mascot exhibition? If so, it's probably the best thing to fetch. But if not, you're just usually looking for ways to make your board better, right? You usually don't need to be ramping in the in the late stages of the game. And a lot of the other lessons come with pretty sizable downsides. So um, like for example, a card that I have found extremely underwhelming in this format is the is the white one that exiles and gives your opponent a 3-2. Yeah. Yeah. That, I've found that card to be a trap. Um, I think you'll often end up actually dying to the 3 2. Reduce Usually the to things, memory. That's the name. Yeah. Reduce to memory, right? Usually the thing that you get rid of is a creature or something else that was threatening, and giving your opponent another threat is just not good news unless you have your perfect little, like, you know, reduce followed by verdict turn or something. So, yeah. Anyway, those, those are the two, I, I think the three lessons that. I have played the most consistently are obviously um, the sciences. What is it? Natural sciences, environmental sciences, environmental sciences, of course, because you do need to hit your land drops and the mana the mana sucks in this format. So it's important to have that even in your like mono white deck. Sometimes you just need to hit your land drops. Yeah. So environmental sciences is big mascot exhibition and the anatomy. Those are the three ones that I consistently run in pretty much all of my decks. Yeah. Uh, when I get to the control decks, I'll have some more things to say about learn boarding,
1: But I, learning is apparently for everyone. It's uh, fundamental. Learning is yes. fundamental in this format, and <laughs> uh, I think just about every deck is trying to find
0: a way to crowbar it in a little bit, uh, if it can go with this with their strategy at all. Yep. So yeah, Nolly Professor definitely the best learn card in green. So we started talking about white a little bit. Why don't we hit on the white aggro decks before we move along here? Because I do think that white is the second best monocolor aggro deck in the format. One of the reasons for that is just that it it's one of the decks that keeps the most from regular standard. There's a surprising amount of like very, very... Okay, CGB's shaking his head. Mm. He's not sure about that. Mm. Go on i just think like if you go down the list we just have a lot of very very powerful and already very proven standard playable cards um we've got the uh i i remember the name of it up until now the the two two that puts counters on stuff yeah it's the aspirant. Luminarch aspirant so we got Luminarch aspirant um we have a bevy of yeah i don't know i don't know man i don't know why i say aspirant
1: but i do <laughs> the
0: aspirant <laughs> okay it's a All content right. play we'll call it a content play that's that's a bold move but you know we've got apparition we've got spellbinder we've got redane, and that's just talking about the ones that already saw play we have additional fairly playable white three drops as well uh, and then of course mall of the skyclaves one of my favorite cards that i've been running in my mono white aggro list that's been doing pretty well so yeah i mean i think mono white's kind of a natural place to go I think one of my biggest issues with these mono-white lists has been filling in the cheap part of the curve because we don't have good, like, doggos and stuff like that to be yep. doing. We do very fortunately have one extremely playable white one-drop, which is the uh, the 2-1 spirit that makes spirits. Usher of the Fallen. Usher of the Fallen. So that's that's a very solid include there. I have actually also been playing a couple copies of the Monk of the Open Palm, or open mm-hmm. hand and with no master of flowers because okay. i just because my version is a clarion spirit version and you just need enough one drops to fuel that card okay so cgb is looking skeptical oh
1: i i i i've just i'm sitting over here basically i've got a saw it coming foretold and i'm just waiting to play it
0: oh i mean yeah i'm i'm not claiming that that this is necessarily like the best deck to be playing in the format. But I think trying to crack mono white in standard 2022 is one of the most fun challenges. I think this is a deck that there are just so many different things that you can play and so many ways you can configure it. And a lot of them are pretty good. So what have you been thinking about mono white aggro? I, I agree with a lot of things that you said, but it
1: also highlighted a lot of things that I've learned. So I'm excited to share it because I think I cracked it. I think, I think I cracked it good. I had I an 85% win rate running the deck. Like, like, really good. So, Mono White, that we are used to in Standard, is kind of a Voltron deck. It's kind of a Go Tall deck. Because you have the dog, you have Life's Bounty, you have Hollow Blade. These things are hard to kill. And you throw on some counters from an Ass Pirate. And you throw on a Sky Maul. And you throw on a Redain to protect it a little, and you win. Like, like, and it's really effective against decks that are trying to remove your threats, and it can also make, like, one threat big and strong enough that the decks that are aggro can't deal with it. Right? That That's kind of mono-white and standard. Yep, that's kind of the theory. So, you lose the dog. You lose the hollow blade. You lose the Luminarch Aspirant. Like, no, we suddenly, yeah, or, sorry, you lose the um, seasoned hollow blade. The seasoned hollow blade, Yeah. And suddenly you try to go tall. You try to play Voltron, but you can't protect it. You can throw the Maul on whatever you want. It's going to die to anything. Anything that the opponent has is going to die to. One of the few decks where a power word kill is like, Ugh. That's Oh true. my God, no. Power well, Any- kill is brutal. Yeah. Not that. Yeah, your Redanes don't live. They just die. They don't interfere with anything. They don't disrupt anything. The best thing
0: you can do is like Spellbinder. I, I have some things to say about that, but I mean, I'll let you keep going. not if it dies. I mean, not against cgb.deck, that's for sure. My point my, my point is like a good removal spell just destroys it. Like if yeah. you're going to
1: play the white deck from last format with a few substitutions here and there. Totally. And, and so the point I'm trying to get to is that mono white isn't the go tall deck anymore. You got to play the go wide deck.
0: Mm, interesting. So
1: so let me give you the li- here here's so my list. You've been playing paladin class? Yeah, let me give you the list.
0: Let okay. Me just, let me just All run right. it down. That led on us.
1: Four code spell cleric oh one white one one if it is the second spell you cast put a plus one plus one counter
0: on another creature uh who who would have thought cgb would have stooped so low to putting code um, spell cleric in his deck all right next i've got (laughs) the freaking results
1: man you gotta you gotta believe in me four monk of the open hand okay four paladin class Yep. Four a two portable hole Four copies of Usher of the Fallen, four copies of Clarion Spirit, four copies of the Ass Pirate, four Elite Spellbinders, and four Skyclave Apparitions, but those are the only three drops. Mm. No Maul of Skyclaves, no Redains. Then we have one Grandmaster of Flowers, and one Legion Angel, and then four Havens, two Cave of the Frost Dragon, 18 Snow Plains. It's a go-wide deck. It's trying to get everything on the board before the opponent can do much about it, double spell, multiple turns early, and then you upgrade your paladin class and you smash. And you're just
0: wider, faster, stronger instead of being taller. So I think I like the theory of this deck. One of the reasons I'm shaking my head a little bit is that I've been crushing this deck on the ladder. I have not lost to this deck playing pretty much most of my aggro decks and one of one of the issues i've been finding with this deck is that to me it often just feels smaller than what the aggro decks that i've been doing are doing it's possible that there's a delta between like this deck piloted by big brain mage cgb and this deck piloted by you know no aggro master (laughs) (laughs) So I I believe that you've been having results with this deck, but it's a little bit hard for me to. It's a little bit hard for me to take it fully seriously when this is a deck that I've been just absolutely clowning on the ladder. But have you been like finding that those great results with Redain and Sky Mall and? I have, I have, and it, huh. it's maybe partially match up dependent. See, I've been farming that deck on the ladder like easily. Interesting. Yeah. It, that's really really opposite interesting results. yeah, yeah it, it's i know it's it kind of it makes me wonder it makes me wonder so th- i mean this is what i've found right is that my opponent will like play some code spell clerics or whatever and then what i've been doing is just stuff like an aspirant sky mall combo something like that and i'll just start clocking in the air and usually finish the game fairly easily that way Yeah, and and then against like a deck like mono green, I often find that like a go wide deck will often just feel a little bit too small ball and these big trampling threats will just kind of come in and mop up the game. So one thing that I have noticed is that I think Paladin class is like really great card. And I think it's a skill testing card. And I, I think that it's one of the sweetest new additions to the format. And I really like that your deck is taking advantage of that. Um, And I think that this is a card which we are in the process of and will continue to be in the process of figuring out the best play patterns for it. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's especially nice that it's kind of this thing you can play on one and then level up later so that your clerics and your monks and your clarion spirits pop. Because it doesn't have to hit the board and impact it immediately as long as you're getting effects off these other things. Portable Hole is like that too, whereas most decks, if you run Portable Hole and there are no targets for it, it's dead. But here you can just slam it to make your other cards better if you have to. But it's so good in like a tempo-y, you know, when you're both playing double aggro, an aggro mirror, if
0: you have Portable Hole and they don't, it's so good especially with Clarion Spirit, Monk, you know, all of this other stuff. And I do, so I, I have agreed, I agree with you in the sense that I think Clarion Spirit's one of the best things that you can be doing with mono-white in this format. Um, it's just there's good support for it, and it's a powerful creature, and it generates value that a lot of your other white cards aren't doing for you, and you have these naughty turns where you just, you play a bunch of stuff out, you generate a bunch of flyers, and you kind of go to town. And when play, if you get,
1: but when I play Clarion
0: Spirit with Sky Mall and with Redane in my deck, I'm never making spirits.
1: Like, how it's do you do? True.
0: I I make less spirits. I'm sure I make less spirits than you do. Okay. Yeah. But I've just yeah. I I don't know, man. I I I don't know what to tell you. Some I think I think that my mono white list feels like the slightly more mid rangey version of the deck, and I think that it's kind of that classic color pie thing of like. Agro farms control mid range farms aggro, um control you know what I mean, and then control farms mid range so that's that's kind of the experience I've been having I've found myself winning with my mono white list against the smaller white decks or the smaller aggro decks, getting totally punished by control, obviously because you know sky mall is a terrible card against control um so that that's that's been my experience so far, okay. I mean, yeah, then I guess it
1: kind of tracks. It just sounds like we care about different matchups.
0: Yeah, I think that that's very true. And I also think, like, I'm talking about a relatively small sample size here. So just just because I've won against a deck X number, you know, like, let's say that I've beaten a deck like five times yesterday or something like that. It's just a very small sample size, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the matchup was good. (laughs) (laughs) But it might. (laughs) but it might (laughs) anyway before we move on there's a couple of cards i want to ask you about in white how have you found sparring regimen i cut it same same principle as the uh sky mall i have also found sparring regimen to be a little bit too slow and just not quite good enough and it's also terrible on defense yep only good on the
1: front foot unfortunately you need a pretty large creature to be able to untap and make it good on defense in the way that it would kind of give vigilance and the creature has to attack to gain the counter and if it's attacking into an old growth troll and it's not bigger than an old growth troll it's not gonna go well for you
0: you know, or an emrith that's oh, the thing like yeah. <laughs> you play that your opponent drops an Imrith. it's kind of an ouch just a final note that's one of the reasons i've actually enjoyed playing the sky mall is that like when my opponent taps out for an emrith it's one of the few ways i've found to get through one of those um, it's also an annoying roadblock against my opponent's goldspan dragon. So that's another couple of reasons I've, I've found, uh, sky mall to be surprisingly good against dragons professor of symbology. Have you been running this in your lists? No, I'm really on the fence about whether it's a good card or not in the format. Yeah. One of the few decks I run without learn at all has been that white list. And I
1: just, I, I don't know, not enough impact there. I'll take my code spell, Cleric. I
0: want my double spelling. I need to get wide and get the game over with. Mm-hmm. I appreciate this, CGB, because I think we're, we often agree in on this show, and we mm-hmm. often kind of decide upon the same versions of a deck, or similar anyway. But I, I think it's kind of cool that we've got two different approaches, and and we've both been kind of smashing the other version with it. So I I don't know, Crafties. You can, you can try them both and see where you come out. I'm sticking with my version until people figure out that Orcus is good. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. Orcus fantastic reason to not run Mono-White in this format. Okay. The the next deck that I wanted to talk about is is it Dragons. Where do you currently feel like Is it Dragons is positioned in the meta? Probably tier 1 best of
1: 3, but my god, is it hard. Is it hard to get the right best of 1 version? like and and since there's no best of 3q and some people might question why i would even bother saying that it's because there are best of three tournaments being run on third-party sites like mtg melee or is it dragons is continuing to show up along with mono green and it often feels like a two-deck format in that in those tournaments but um man like do you want to beat the act like do you want to beat green do you, do you really want to beat green? Do you want to have a game against white? Are you going to run cards like Draconic Intervention and Crush the Weak to give yourself a, a spot in those? Or do you want to win the mirrors? Do you want to beat any other deck with All Runs Epiphany in it? Because you're going to need probably more than Foresaw Cummings. You're going to need like, Negates and Disdainful Strokes, which would make a ton of sense in Standard because of Emergent Ultimatum and make very little sense in a best-of-one queue where you might come up against somebody who does not care about those cards in the slightest it, it's a very polarizing deck in my opinion uh is it dragons uh so what have you figured out
0: yeah i i have agreed it was actually one of the things i was struggling with i was thinking about revisiting the deck and i was just really struggling to think of the optimal build because you know there are definitely games on the ladder like where i'm playing aggro against the dragons list. And in the first four turns of the game, they play, like, two Dragon's Fire, two Frostbite while advancing their board, and then they go Goldspan into Ulran's Epiphany. And it's like the god deck. It's like, oh my god, how would any creature deck ever beat this deck, ever? You just get crushed. Um, And then, you know, in other games... I'm just I'm mono green and you know I play uh ranger class on turn two on the play and I've run them over by turn four and how could they ever possibly win against me and it just feels laughable. Yeah. So um so I totally agree. It's it's really tough and I think one of the issues with Is It Dragons is that it has excellent answers to everything in the format, but you just can't, you know, just like you said, um best of three really makes that possible and best of one it's really hard, and one of the issues is that the the deck runs a lot of cards that you have to keep in, right? So you pretty much have to have four Goldspan Dragons, you have to have four Allruns Epiphanies, that's the best thing to be doing at the top end of your deck. But then when you get through your Prismari Commands, and your Sword comings and your Card Draw Spells, and your Expressive Iterations and stuff, it's like 80 cards, you know? It's almost like, we just want this to be a Yorian deck, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it could honestly, it could just be like, uh, what am I seeing a lot of on the ladder today, and just adjust from there. Yeah, um, that's what I. That's why I said in my
1: is it dragons video was like you have to be willing to play for an hour and then adjust your flex spots to what you expect to queue into because yeah, this is a this is also a place where in a very bizarre way I miss companion information. Mm. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many times in this format I click the view battlefield and look for a companion to help me, me decide if my hand is good, and it's, <laughs> it's not there, man. They're not there. And it, it's like, okay, look at your hand, and you're like... If I play against aggro, I have a shot. And if I play against mid-range or control, I'm going to get demolished or vice versa. And then you just kind of look at your metagame statistics and the fact that aggro always trends up and you try to keep a hand that's good against aggro. And then you end up in these games that never feel like games because you just have the wrong cards for the situation at every turn. And that's a best-of-one problem that it existed a long time ago. And adventures in... They ruined a lot of things, but they did make the best of one Q feel more interactive because you just didn't have these cards that were totally dead in every matchup. They were always at least a creature, Um, and it's hard to find the same thing in uh, 2021. There
0: are just bad matchups, and there aren't enough cards to fill all your slots in your deck absolutely i that's a really really excellent point i think brazen borrower is a perfect example of a card that's extremely strong in the is it dragons list ordinarily um Mm -hmm. because you know it pressures your opponent's planeswalkers it puts a threat on the battlefield against your control opponent makes them have to kind of pace their turns awkwardly and maybe spend mana to kill it and then you're up in the counter spell exchange stuff like that so um, yeah, we don't have that kind of versatility, and it's it's rough, man. It's rough. So, but at the same time, so I think of the Is it Dragons as it's a list that can beat anyone in the on the right game and the right matchup. Um, I would love to see the consistency numbers on it because it, I, I could see it being anywhere from like a forty to a sixty percent deck.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's a good point. I, I would I would guess hover right around in the middle, man, because. But it's still strong. But what's I think what's fun about it is it it's kind of the mid range deck of the format, and that those aren't usually good in best of one. But it has the power for to stay there. So it's kind of this deck that makes your control decks harder to build. If you want to transition into control, it's like we are not going to beat in control decks are not going to beat is it dragons if they're just leaning on like two or three saw it Cummings and they don't have any other counter spells. But if they run a bunch of Counterspells, they're never going to beat Mono White and Mono Green.
0: Counterspells are unplayable against those decks. Like, unplayable. This this was one of the comments I wanted to make before I turn it over to you. And maybe this will segue us into um, the decks that you want to be talking about. But one of the most polarized cards I've been thinking about in this matchup is Saw It Coming. Yeah. Right? Because... In some matchups it's one of the best cards in your deck and in other matchups like yeah against aggro it is beyond unplayable. Um so what I, I don't know like have you been running the full four of these in your control decks? Almost always. Okay. Unless unless I have other ways that I feel like I'm doing something
1: good against the Is it dragon deck? I almost always have to have four of them, but I've been down to two because maybe Mm -hmm. my deck also has soul shatter and has some dragons of its own to try to get in the way. But um, yeah, I, I pretty much come back to I still need like around four counters. I can't be the blue deck with less counter spells in those matchups because you just get farmed. So Mm -hmm. I haven't found a good way around that. There aren't a lot of uncounterable cards in the format. Coma is not an easy card to put into your decks. It's very Mm -hmm. difficult. So it's it's tough. It's tough to find that balance. And then when you draw two Saw It Cummings and you turn out to be against Mono White and all their cards are one drops. And then you're like, okay, I hold up three mana. And they're like, activate my Paladin class.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's so bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so bad. You know what I just realized cgb what so coma has been like kind of a finisher against control for a while right yeah you know what coma sucks at attacking into is a freaking hall of the blue giant land <laughs> 7 uh, 7 it's, it's <laughs> what okay do you think? They, they can usually tap it down and pay the ward cuz i they guess they can pay the ward with a serpent something like yeah. that yeah and not so may- only that, it takes eight freaking mana for the
1: or seven mana right for the blue player to make that play, and they're tapped out. And there's still more, like like Coma can sacrifice the serpent it made to just go indestructible, and then use their seven mana to play something else with the the uh, control mage
0: completely tapped out. So I don't think that that really so maybe, maybe it's it. maybe it's fine. Yeah, maybe it's fine. I feel like usually you'll drop Coma as like the last card in your hand. It's kind of like your alright, <laughs> let's see if this finishes the game. Anyway, that's an interaction I'd like to play with more, because I, I have been playing a Coma deck just recently, and uh, having thought some surprisingly I thought you, good you weren't into the Coma. It. thought you didn't like the I Coma. I mean, hey, you know, when every, when every threat in the format sucks, ah, Coma, let's go. Arjuna <laughs> okay. is on the snake train. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Kovac Go I want to hear about your experiences playing Control, um, and I also want to ask about, okay, so CGB, a decklist that I saw recently took down an Insight esports tournament um, in this particular format was a Demir control list run by Tian Famun. I'm sorry if I pronounced that name wrong. And so this was a Demir control list running, you know, a lot of the usual suspects. Uh, it's got some modern kinens, it's got a Professor Onyx, um, it's running three Crippling Fear and two Shadows Verdicts. It's also running two Blood on the Snow. So that's a total of seven sweepers. And then in the Instant Suite, it's just kind of running a lot of counter magic, uh, card draw, removal, a lot of the cards that you would expect to see in a list like this. Notably, it's running two divide by zero, so doing some learning there. And of course, it is a snow deck, so it's running some copies of Graven Law. But I'm curious if you have messed around with of a deck which looks something like this. I kind of assume that you have, playing around with Demir, and I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on, on how Demir is positioned in control and whether it's the best version of control that you've found.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty happy to say that most of what I did led me to a similar spot. The the biggest thing I, I think I would have given up on control a hundred percent. Just been off it. I'm I'm a mono green gamer now, you know? If mm-hmm. it weren't for one fact. If you're not playing black, it's really hard to kill planeswalkers. Yes. It is not easy to remove a six-mana Planeswalker, which means, like, for the first time in what I feel like forever, you can cast these really expensive Planeswalkers, and they actually stay on the battlefield for, like, two or three turns. Or I've I've seen a Mordenkainen stay on the battlefield and get up to 17 loyalty. <laughs> Pretty cool. uh, yeah, I, I was watching a game where that happened today on Twitch, and it was like, wow. But, yeah, Planeswalkers... Sit on the battlefield for a good amount of time in this format. They're not easy to just reach out and kill. The haste and the creature land threats are good, and they'll go out there and hurt them, but they don't often swing over and kill them because Onyx and Mordenkinen get up to seven loyalty. Like, or no, uh, Onyx is six, but Mordenkinen yeah. gets up to seven loyalty. Seven. And they often, you know, take a punch and still get to do something the next turn. So, my. My Demir decks, especially, are focused on Planeswalkers landing, and it's usually exactly the same layout, two and one Onyx, and just getting those to grind the opponent into dust. And this list is a lot of what I look for. Um, The Graven Lords and the Blood on the Snows, taking advantage of kind of a snow theme, are things I haven't gotten into. I found those to Mm. be really slow, and that might be the difference in Best of 1 and Best of 3. I wouldn't be surprised if that makes 100% sense for best of three and not for best of one. In best of one, I'm playing All Runs Epiphany, which also seems really slow. But here's the play pattern I'm always trying to set up every game. All Runs Epiphany, make two birds, then drop my six drop Planeswalker and plus, hopefully. Like, just having the two birds to chump for it usually works. Gets you through the turn so that you can untap the next turn. Now you saw it coming as defending something useful. And you just try to ride that Planeswalker to victory. And it's a style of magic that I feel like hasn't been around in a while where you can defend the queen, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it actually works. So that's what I'm still loving about control decks.
0: Let's go into that a little bit more because I had honestly pronounced control dead in this format until I saw these Demir control lists running Auron's Epiphany. That is actually what turned me around on it because the play patterns with Auron's Epiphany was so strong. I think that it seems really unintuitive, right? Like I think that if you were building a Demir control list in regular standard right now, it would seem really odd to be running... Auron's Epiphany, and especially multiple copies of it in a lot of these lists. So um, what is it? Uh, why are we choosing to run a card like Alrin's Epiphany in lists like this? I mean, it's good for that scenario that you outlined, but it's also good in a lot of other spots, and I'm hoping you can take us through some of that. Well, I am questioning it a little, because this
1: list that you sent me doesn't have it. Sure. So yeah. I, I, I'm thinking about it a bit more, but yeah. I mean, it, it is mostly... Um, the fact that when you have a Planeswalker, you either need to play this first and use the birds to defend it or play it after the Planeswalker and get to kind of end the game. Now, I also talked about Mordenkainen on 17 loyalty that I saw, and you can just plus it forever. But there is this tension with that card where the minus, if you're low on cards, might deck you, or the, the <laughs> ultimate, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you kind of avoid using it. If you have yeah. All Runs Epiphany in your deck, though and you know you're drawing into an extra turn and some power and toughness, you can kind of do the mental math of, all right, I'm going to draw my deck. My hand is going back. I'm going to draw my deck. So I draw my library, play an all-runs epiphany, and I'm going to draw like two or three more epiphanies. So I'm going to have X many turns in a row. What other threats do I have in my deck that I can play that can then turn sideways? Can I end the game if I take the next four turns in a row? and it's 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 kind of it's really fun cuz somewhere in there you're powering up hall of the storm giants maybe it's on the last turn maybe you have enough mana to do it earlier than that sometimes i'm like man i've got i, I my version has the frick, the 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 pest card now i'm going to miss hunt for specimens my hunt my for version specimens. has yeah I, I thought that was a
0: cool include yeah
1: yeah and um so I'm like, does the one one pest attacking over three turns in a row combined with the birds get me there right or does can I, will I have a chance to play my professor Onyx, and do I have these cheap spells I can cast to finish the job by triggering magecraft? So it's really complicated, but often if you have a three card hand and that becomes your library, but you're taking the next two or three turns with epiphanies. You can win the game. And don't forget, you can yeah. also, if you have enough loyalty, like minus the morning kind and make the dog, and the dog becomes the size of your hand size. Which is yes,
0: pretty height. That's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> A few other things I've noticed. Okay, so one of the coolest things about Alrin's Epiphany, and one of the kind of underappreciated aspects of the card, is that it can just really smooth out certain curves that you have, and it can really smooth out certain game plans. So, for example, I think you'll get in these spots where, um, let's say, you have an Imrith in your hand, but you don't want to just drop it unprotected on the battlefield, right? And so you can have these, these curves where you foretell an Epiphany earlier in the game, maybe you uh, also foretell a sword coming, and then on turn 6, you play Roland's Epiphany, and then into a turn 7, Imrith with spell Backup, so now you have two birds and an Imrith and a counter spell, and it's gonna be really hard for your opponent to like gotcha in that situation. I um I, I agree with that. I've mm-hmm. also
1: though like I've I've gotten past the point where I play Imrith now. Like oh, I, okay, so you're yeah, just off it. I, yeah. I, it. So that card was amazing. Like we were high on it last week. I, mm-hmm. I, I love that card. It feels like the format figured out what to do about that card quick. Like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're yep. mon- the mono-white and the mono-green decks just have ways to punish you and just seemingly end the game when you drop an Imrith. The mm-hmm. mid-range decks all have ways to kill it. You just get into these binds. So, yeah, I've, I'm down to no Imriths on my Demir's and just focusing on the planeswalker plan but that was just something i wanted to throw in there
0: no no that's super legit i think another cool thing you can do right is you can play your epiphany on seven and then you and then you go into your eight mana turn where you drop a planeswalker and leave up interaction right which is a which is a similar kind of a thing yep and then that's the perfect curve right because again you have a planeswalker which can defend itself. You have two birds and you have an a interaction spell. It's kind of like exactly where you want to be as a control player, right? Yep, that's a good one. And, and
1: yeah, uh, the Imrith plan was a nice plan, and it also combined very well with Epiphany until everybody seemed to figure out what to do about Imrith. And now it's just like, well, instead we'll go make it like an the 8-mana turn and play. And I want to say that Hunt for Specimens... I, I've run as many as like three environmental sciences in my sideboard to make it so that hitting land number eight untapped is actually a doable thing. But yeah. Hunt for Specimens is not bad. I am, I am running No Behold the Multiverses because I found like the format so aggressive. Mm-hmm. And just taking turns off to cast Behold the Multiverse, I felt like I was just dead all the time. I, I felt like I had no time for that. But playing like Hunt for Specimens and getting to Chump or just having this pest around to block for your Planeswalker later and also being able to go to the sideboard, make sure you get a little life back and hit your land drops, that was getting the job done for me.
0: Yeah, well, and I—I I, what I like that you're highlighting there is that drawing random cards from your deck can sometimes be pretty bad. But the nice thing about these learn cards is that you cast them knowing exactly what you will draw with them, and so you know exactly they get you land drops in the early game. They get you things like mascot exhibitions in the late game. They kind of take care of you, and so they just give you a lot of agency about how to sculpt your curve and how to plan out your next couple of turns. So I think that that's I think that's really a smart include. And I also just like how much life you're gaining, right? I mean, I feel like with your pests and your environmental sciences and stuff, you're probably gaining like five to seven life, maybe even more over the course of a long game. Yeah. And I I also think much like protecting planeswalkers and plussing them
1: is a forgotten strategy. So is just chump blocking. I yep. I've, we, we hit on this before, I think last week, but chump blocking is very back on the menu in a way that Questing Beast and Embercleave didn't allow for a very long time. And just yep. having a 1-1, one, one, like I'll take a lot of damage from my opponent to keep my 1-1 one, one around so that when I do drop my Planeswalker, they can't just swing over and kill it. I've got something to throw under the bus.
0: Yep, absolutely. I totally agree, man. I think it's one of the reasons that Trample is so good in the format right now. Um, I think it's another reason why Mono Green's good is because it runs these big trampling creatures. Um, but yeah, I think this is kind of the typical thing, right? Is if you drop a Planeswalker, activate it, you can chump block to protect it the following turn and then you untap and activate it again. It's like your chances of winning that game just went up by like many percentage points, right? So, Oh yeah, you're doing yeah. it. Yep, it's often worth just throwing away your entire board to untap with that Planeswalker and just... Kind of go off from there. Oh, when you're plusing Mordenkainen
1: or Professor Onyx and finding more all runs Epiphanies, you yes. <laughs> you
0: understand the appeal of Epiphany yes. in those decks. Yeah. You are doing it. So let's just talk quickly about the removal suite. I'd be interested to hear like what you're enjoying, what you're not enjoying. Um, a lot of people have been running Poison the Cup lately. How do you feel about this spell? I'm on two poison the cups and I hate it. Okay, so you
1: don't like it. I I don't like it, but I'm not sure I can do better. Okay. You've got to be able to kill the creature lands. It's really hard to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. The list that you shared with me has four flunks, three poison the cups, two masteries. Like Baleful Mastery, I'm way off that. I don't want to pay four mana to exile anything, and I don't want to pay a student cost and give my opponent a card either. I've I've broken up with Baleful Mastery in a pretty big way. Um, Okay. This the list you sent me has no
0: Soul Shatters. I'm still
1: running about two. I think it's I overrated, was, but I think it's good. Okay.
0: Okay. So so you're not doing like the full four cuz I no. some people have gone hard on Soul Shatter.
1: Oh yeah, there are people in love with this because it be like it's good against Goldspan. Like yep. really good against Goldspan and Coma. Right? Yep. But, and
0: opponents planeswalkers
1: sometimes. Yep. Not terrible yeah. there, but like those aren't the decks to beat. Those are the mm. decks that are on the fringe. Like mono green, really likes it when you're like running yes. Soul Shatter. You know, yes. they they love that. I I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think that card is really overrated. And I've I, I'm on two, and I think it's a good number. Mm-hmm. I'm on one Flunk. I I found that card. Okay, you're off it. I, I'm on one. Like yeah, I I, I think sometimes you got to get that Toski, but. Mm. I I found it so easy for my opponents to keep their hands full, you know, with learn cards and with Ranger Class Chapter 4, and I I just, I'm not always killing what I need to kill with a flunk. I'm missing Mm -hmm. it way too much, and I hate it. But I'm also on one copy, and this is a card that people are running none of. I'm on, like, one power word kill, because I can usually find a target for it, and I usually need something at that curve.
0: one should be fine, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, land drops, I, I, I have run 28, 29, 30 potential lands. I've run a lot of Jwari disruptions and a few Hagram maulings in my decks. And I'm still like worried because uh, missing a land drop just feels like death if you're not running death. the multiverse. And I'm not. Yeah. So, I, I'm running like, I'm doing a lot of this thing where I will foretell a poison the cup. The opponent will play the creature I want to poison and I'll put a stop on my upkeep and I'll poison it on my upkeep and scry for the land drop that turn and it, it feels janky and lame and weird yeah. but it's getting the job done so yeah
0: so that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, right because I feel like a lot of a lot of your classic archetypes got you know pretty playable cards and and have previously pretty playable cards that kind of are role players. In the deck, they kind of check the boxes they need to. Yeah, And I've been feeling like some of these control cards are just really weak or they're just really really a little bit too conditional, right? Oh, man. Oh, it's really bad. Blue-white, like playing blue-white was... You just
1: don't have answers to anything, and I'm like running four dragon turtles. (laughs) Just lock them down with the turtle. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah. (laughs) It's like it it makes us realize how spoiled we've been with Heartless Act and Eliminate in... In the regular standard format, like talk about it's some boy. playable frickin' magic cards, right? Vanishing Verse. Now, now that that that's a good pivot. Vanishing Verse yeah.
1: is what's left of that. Just the mm-hmm. two mana get it all removal spell. And it is so good. Mm-hmm. But it is so hard to run those three colored decks. So right. I've seen a lot of black white decks that are like They're kind of the next thing I'm excited to explore because they look good. Um, Mm. So you can run like black-white treasures with Deadly Visit and like Shambling Ghast and things like that and then still play Vanishing Verse. And then you play Kaya with Deadly Visit, which is, you know, the draw to make a treasure. And the Kaya puts the ghost form counter on whatever you're killing and then it comes back
0: oh right so talk about that spell because i've actually been really impressed with that spell it's what it's one and a black instant yeah sacrifice a creature or artifacts draw to make a treasure is that what so, it is yeah so yeah i was i was a
1: hundred percent off deadly visit when i tried playing it in like a low curve traditional rakdos and then mm-hmm. i got back in i was like all the way back in the second uh somebody played shambling gas turn one deadly visit turn two gold span dragon turn three Ugh, nasty, dude. Like, because you make nasty. the treasure with the Shambling Ghast, and you get the treasure for the visit. So you just have five yeah. mana on turn three in your black red deck. Like, and I, I was like, okay, I'm back, I'm back. So brutal. Yeah, the Deadly Visit requires. First of all, it's not like building traditional mana curves. You 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 play these one drops like Eye Twitch and Shambling Ghast... And then you play the Deadly Visit, and then there's just this big hole in your mana curve where you don't even want three drops, and you only want a few four drops. You just want to be like playing big, expensive cards, Goldspan Dragon, and then you want to play things on top of that. This is where Valky into Tibble is really good, because Ooh. you can play it early or late. Nice. Yeah. Yep. And also, I assume you're the...
0: rocking Orcus as well.
1: That's the card I was getting to. Yeah. That card is Agro Farming Machine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: orcas is so good and i think it's underplayed right now uh, i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people cling to control it's not great against saw it coming it's okay as long as you're not like banking on it that that card though man it, when you're actually hitting your land drops and making treasures at the same time which is what a deadly visit kind of deck when it's built well does that card is a heck of a top deck um, I the last game I played before recording this podcast was I'm dead on board, but I top deck the Orcus and it brings back a ooze, a gelatinous, a gelatinous cube, and a Valky to, and those gain haste and remove my opponent's blocker and swing for lethal, like like
0: epic, boom! It, was, it yeah. was the
1: top deck that you live for. So I'm riding an Orcus high at the moment, which might color my opinion. But I, I, nobody's played it against me. Mm-hmm. Don't see it at all. And mm-hmm. there, and I played uh, Orcus for like seven on turn like five and just swept Mono White's fourteen creatures or whatever they had. Okay, it was more like eight creatures. <laughs> they yes. give a, and I'm just, and they just scoop on the spot and I'm like, this is nuts. Like this is this is quality.
0: So yeah, if Orcus, if people figure out the optimal Orcus lists, and they will at some point. Um, and if it becomes popular, I think it will basically just eliminate mono white from from the field because yeah, yeah, you can never beat that card.
1: And this is why when you originally said it's a very fast format, I think that we're doing this thing that's left over from the previous format where kind of mid-range is unplayable because of Saltai Ultimatum. You just can never beat that in a million years. Mm-hmm. So, we're doing this thing where it's like, all right, we're going to play the intense aggro decks, and they're good, especially while mana bases suck. Like, they're really good. But mm-hmm. people are going to figure out the mana bases and what works. They're going to figure out Orcas. They might figure out this black white deck I'm talking about. Angels is uh, black white angels, it's, we could talk about, is surprisingly yeah, it's pretty good. good. It's pretty yeah. good. And people are going to figure out that mid range is playable. Because it's not like a slam dunk that Control wins those matchups or that Is It Dragons wins those matchups. They're favored, but it's not easy mode. Mm. And uh, I think that we're going to slow this format down a little. I think aggro is going to remain popular, but I don't think it's going to be kind of the polarized format we've had for so long where there are so many decks that are completely unexplorable because of Emergent Ultimatum. People are saying that Goldspan Dragon into Epiphany is that. But it's mm-hmm. not; it's different. If the dragon dies, they're just Epiphany for Birds. Epiphany yeah. for Birds is not broken; it's just tilting. You can yeah. handle a tilt. Win the freaking game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about like how likely are you to win a game if someone resolves an emergent ultimatum against you? You're like like twenty percent at best, right? Twenty percent, man. You are a master. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> It's like I've beaten it, right? But it was only because I had like like sometimes your opponent resolves their ultimatum and then you do yours on your turn and like yeah you're okay you're playing ultimatum right. against
1: okay that come on now but, now yeah. now it cancels out because you resolved an ultimatum
0: that game so it was actually your
1: opponent that was zero. Your...
0: Yeah, <laughs> see, so, you but, see, it doesn't work. No, you're right. <laughs> it's like it's it's just a game winner like yeah. nine times out of ten or whatever. Yeah um so yeah exactly and there's there's just nothing like that in this format so yep we gotta we gotta be a little more crafty as it were we gotta we gotta (laughs) build our game plans and really find our wins Um, it's such an interesting format because I, like, it's like I half agree with you that I think that there there is playable mid-range and more controlly and kind of go over the top plans like Orcas plans, but then there are just a lot of decks that are like turn three Goldspan Dragon deal with me, bro, you know? And then there are these other, yeah, like mono green curves that are just totally face smashing. So I'll be really interested to see where it settles down. Um, I've definitely like, for example... Yeah, just playing like Showdown of the Skulls. That's a card where like I've been asking myself is this card too slow for this format? Which is kind of ludicrous, right? Have because you, have you seen the one that have you seen the the Goblin Showdown deck that one turn? I haven't seen the Goblin Showdown deck. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's Goblin Tribal with White. Off the Snarls and the Pathways and usually maybe one planes, but usually Snarls Pathways. Mm -hmm. And it plays four showdowns, Scalds, and some amount of Rally the Ranks. The the two-mana Anthem for uh, Name a Creature Type, and they get plus one, plus one. So it has an absurd amount of ways to pump the Goblins, and it has this awesome card advantage showdown of the scalds exactly where you want it in a very aggressive leaning deck as the reload or the punish for them tapping out to deal with your
0: board and yeah Yeah. that 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 deck won a tournament that that deck the mono greens
1: it got sweet yeah
0: okay that's awesome and i mean with rally being the perfect hit that's like the card you want to hit off of your showdown right so solid (laughs) so. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. You're like buffing the team and then putting extra counters on them. Sounds good to me. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's I I think that's it. It's like there 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 are a lot of powerful cards in the format. We need to find like which decks they go into, whether they're fast enough, etc. Um, but I do think to put a cherry on the Rakdos thing, I do think that there is like a black red X treasure deck in the format i think the x is the that's the it's the x factor i'm not really sure like what the best splash is but i i and i feel like i keep saying this but i really do think that at some point we're going to figure out what that best treasure deck is and it's going to be really good but there are just so many different versions there's madu um, a lot of people have been enjoying playing madu versions running Extus, Mm-hmm. because i'll tell you what feels really brutal is like like dark dark avatar on turn three, yeah, that's that's brutal. There's like, not a
1: lot of ways to kill
0: it. I mean, nope.
1: portable hole isn't as popular as I think many of us expected. So yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and I mean, I just yeah, that thing clocks you a couple of times and it just ends the game real quick. And if, especially if you're playing like a creature deck, like a mono white deck, right? You can't just like. Drop yeah, it's only portable Hall. You can't just like yeah. drop an apparition, right? Nope. Um, in mono green, you probably are just not you're not gonna get your big creatures out in time to do your fight things. So I mean that's again, that's just a solid way you can kind of win the game on turn three, kind of a thing. Oh yeah, so Is it lot of-
1: sure makes Goldspan Dragon look bad if they can't counter <laughs> it because they have
0: to sacrifice their dragon, it's probably their only creature, and then you're yep. getting in there. Yep. So I think that Extus, that's a card. Extus with the with the Avatar on the back um, is an unexplored and very, very powerful card. And um, when you want your creatures to be dying anyway, you know, I mean, that's the brutal thing, right? Is that like you'll be, you could do a curve that was something like Avatar on turn three into Goldspan on turn four. Like you can do that kind of stuff in this format. And it's freaking brutal. It is. It is. It's fun. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of unexplored territory there. I think that that's one of the archetypes which it just has. There are a lot of different cards, a lot of different things you can try. Some people have been going Jund because of the innkeeper. So I don't know, man. I'm, that's that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to is people figuring that one out. What do you want to dive into most next? Okay. I So I started to think about ramp. Like Because, okay, let's be real. Like At heart, I'm an unabashed freaking Simic mage, right? And I'm just like, I'm always if there's something stupid and rampy to do in a format, I'm always going to try it. And I recently discovered a list. Um, It was posted by MTG Joe, shout out to content creator MTG Joe, um, who made a post on Twitter with a Simic ramp list. And I'll read it off. It's just not that long of a list. So it's got four Neverwinter Dryad. This is the one green mana, one one, where you pay two and sacrifice it. And you search a library for a forest, put it on the battlefield, tap, then shuffle. All right. Okay. Yep. Lim- limited fodder, right? It's also running um, four of the Prosperous Innkeeper. It's running a bunch of copies of Into the Royal and Divide by Zero. It's running four Eureka Moments for Quandrix Cultivator. All right? None of this seems that good. Right? This is all like, I'm getting beaten down. Right? I'm gonna lose the game. Which is how it feels. Okay? But then this is what happens. All right? This deck runs four copies of Arryn's Epiphany, and it runs four Cyclone Summoners. And I have been, like, it doesn't seem that good, right? I was playing this before our episode, like, recording, and I was demolishing aggro decks, dude. This deck, tra- like, I was freaking embarrassing Mono Green. I was embarrassing these white decks. I was playing against these red decks, and it was just, it was an utter trouncing, because what you do in the late game with this deck is that you'll like drop a cyclone summoner, bounce your opponent's board, say go. They'll replay a couple of things. You'll drop another cyclone summoner, bounce the rest of their board, swing for seven. Next turn you all runs epiphany, and it just goes on from there. The deck runs uh, two coma cosmos serpents. Okay. And you
1: said four into the royals and four divide by zeros.
0: Yes. So and you
1: can you are bouncing and replaying
0: your cyclone summoner all the time if you want to. It's if just you want to yep <laughs> so anyway the deck seems super janky it i haven't played enough with it to really decide whether it's like actually good it's probably awful against control but i was trivializing I, it felt so good man i was just trivializing all of these aggro decks this deck is better it's better than it looks so anyway i'm gonna include delightful. a link what's that it sounds delightful it's it's such a good time, man. You, okay. you should just fire it up and try it out. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. This is the kind of deck where like you stabilize it for life and then you just crush your opponent. Beautiful. So, so that's I, I want to explore a little bit more with ramp because we do have some fairly good ramp options in the format. Uh, Prosperous Innkeeper is great. Eureka Moment is a card that could be good. Quandrix Cultivator, another card that could be good. Um, Quandrix Cultivator is really good with like, in a deck with Into the Royal, for example, because, uh, no, you don't want to be casting Into the Royal for two mana if you can help it, but, like, in a mono-green matchup, for example, you'll drop a Cultivator, they'll try to Blizzard Brawl it, and then you'll bounce that creature and you'll get your card advantage. Um, so Cultivator into cheap interaction, I think, is, is pretty solid. Um, I don't know, and then Coma, I mean... I I never thought that I'd be the one to advocate the Cosmos Serpent, but I mean, you know, other mages on this podcast have unironically played Coma the Cosmos Serpent. It's a powerful magic card. So
1: <laughs>
0: nice to have you on the snake train. Welcome to the so, coma coil. Yeah, I, I may have I may have finally found my coma deck. Um so that that's been really, really fun. So yeah, shout out to MTG Joe. Um, however, competitive this deck ends up being, it has been an absolute blast to play. Um, so, I'm going to be experimenting more with just other ramp shells to see if we can't uh, just find like a really backbreaking top end to be moving into quickly. What about you? There are three black
1: white treasure decks that look,
0: or there are three
1: different kinds of black white decks that look interesting to me kind of treasure mid range control, clerics which I keep running into, and I can see the potential, but I think some of the card choices are weird, so I might explore that a little bit more. And I think Angels are potentially very good mm-hmm. and might actually be pretty fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Angels for a moment. I've seen it on the ladder. It definitely has potential. There, are, So there are a number of cards in the list which are non-negotiable, right? Of course you're running far of the Youthful Valkyrie. You're running far of the... Um, too far what's that one The pumps the team righteous valkyrie yep so you're running the full valkyrie package um you're probably running some number of furious Fears retribution yep it's a playable card in the deck and another card which i've actually found really backbreaking especially in this lower powered format is the um what's the it's the five mana valkyries enchantment that makes a token rampage of the valkyries so rampage of the valkyries okay your opponent plays one of these sucks but it's not the end of the world when your opponent drops the second one in a creature matchup you can never ever 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 win um i had a game i was playing my um i was playing my naya deck and i had a really brutal board presence dude i had like two goldspan dragons and i also had two of the um aspirants the ass pirates yeah and at one point on my board i had an 11 11 gold span and a 9 9 gold span and my opponent drops the second valkyries enchantment and i just i look at my board i look at their board and i was like i will never ever ever win this game ever like every every creature of theirs like if i trade i lose three creatures if I removal spell one of their creatures, I lose two creatures. There's no way. Yeah. So, Ouch. it's a, it's you? a surprisingly powerful late game for a creature deck. Um, not you know not great against control necessarily, but I don't know. Do you? Is there anything out of these angels lists that you want to highlight or like maybe maybe an angle on it that you've thought was particularly successful? I just want to say that the last. Um... The last time we
1: checked into Angels and in, in Standard, like a 4 4 for 4 with Vigilance, like unplayable. Can't block <laughs> yeah. a Love Struck Beast, gets Brazen borrowed, just a joke. Like mm-hmm. Angels were completely unplayable against the meta. And in this meta, like nothing kills them frostbite
0: ha ha, oh, you know yeah, that
1: for toughness man oh, Yeah, it's so brutal all of a sudden a 4-4 <laughs> flying vigilance is a pain because goldspan yeah. can't attack through it without help frostbite doesn't kill it blizzard brawl you've blizzard brawl is good against them still if they have a you know a creature that it works with but mm-hmm. when you play black white you get to run good removal you get to run Portable Hole if you want it, Skyclave Apparition, and the best probably two-mana removal spell in the format, Vanishing Verse. So you can mm-hmm. blow up a blizzard, a blizzard Brawl if you time things well. So, yeah, I just I think that there's a lot of potential there because the Angel tokens are back on the menu, whereas before, Starnheim Unleashed was kind of a meme card. You can just straight-up cast that on turn four here and often make a battlefield presence that's really difficult for the opponent to deal with.
0: Yep. And then, of course, if we do end up getting a best of three Q, which a lot of people have been clamoring for, you also get access to like one of the best discard spells in the format in Humiliate, um, could improve the matchup against Control a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think that this is a deck with legs. Um, I have found it to be a little weak to like some of the better like, mono-green or mono-white aggro starts. If you can kind of get under him, get your removal spells and your apparitions lined up right, you can sometimes kind of gank him out. But I feel like if you get to the mid-game, this Angel's deck can usually crush most other creature builds, and it gains a lot of life. Gains a, a lot of life. Valkyrie Starnheim unleashed anyone? Ugh, brutal. <laughs> you don't like that. So yeah, you don't like that. Angels has a strong pedigree in historic, and it's it's not a joke. Um, so yeah, we'll see if it also gets some additional support in the upcoming sets as well. A card I wanted to point out, I kind of hinted at it earlier, but Hoffrey Ghost Forge. Okay. I I played against this a surprising amount. Uh, on my stream last night, this card got me a few times. It got me so hard. So I'm going to read this card for you again. This is like a card that no one's paid attention to because it's not remotely playable in regular standard. So Hoffrey Ghost Forge, three red, white, mythic legendary creature, dwarf, cleric. It's a four, five, which is basically unkillable in this format. Spirits you control get plus one, plus one, and have trample and haste. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, exile it. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that creature, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types, and it has, when this creature leaves the battlefield, return the exiled card to your graveyard. Okay, so, Hoffrey Ghostforge does a surprisingly good impression of, uh, what was that card? Uh, Uh, Reaper of Night... Uh, two two black black four four flyer when a creature dies you exile it and make a token copy that's a nightmare one-line. shepherd nightmare shepherd yeah okay so this is like nightmare shepherd plus so what you do is you play this in a deck with cards like skyclave apparition um, there are a surprising number of spirits in the format and so and I played against a modu version of this deck and they were playing that it's a cleric. Uh, It's a 3-1, and when it enters the battlefield, uh, you sacrifice a creature, and your opponent has to sacrifice a creature. Demon's Disciple? I think that that's the one. So the combo was, they play that with Hoffrey out, I sack a creature. They sack the Disciple, it comes back, I have to sack another creature. And... I got completely demolished by this and they were also playing Skyclave Apparition and like I couldn't attack into it. It's like if they block with their Apparition they just get another thing. So anyway, this is... Have you
1: ever tried removing uh, the, the threat? <laughs> hey, I play Mono White, man. <laughs> mono White's got a removal problem. It's true. That's, it's- but that's why yeah. I'm saying you gotta go wide and get them dead.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I think cards like Hawfrey highlight the fact that removal is really not that great in this format. So sometimes you can just like you get down a kind of a memey card like Hawfrey and if your opponent can't deal with it for a turn it just freaking goes off on you.
1: Oh, I I see. You mean the
0: removal options available aren't great. Yes.
1: Yeah. I I I, I buy that. Yep.
0: Yep. Yes. They all have it's weaknesses. Just, yeah, it's just really hard to like come up with and, and, and it's also just hard to get them consistently hitting in every different deck, right? I so don't know, man. Hoffrey can't be vanishing first. Might be the truth. There you go. You know, we don't have... Uh, uh, th- there's just a lot of cards that we're missing in this current standard format. And so you can just randomly lose to a, to a card like this. Anyway, I just wanted to point it out because I saw some pretty sweet decks built around it. Sign of a good format, I think, when you randomly lose to the Mythic. That was
1: unplayable a month ago.
0: That's what I'm saying, man. That's what yeah. I'm saying. You I know, like go go forth and have fun. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, I'm sure that we could talk about this format until the end of time, but it's probably about time to wrap it up and keep moving along. So here's what I want to ask you, Kovac go Blue. is so you're going to be experimenting with these black-white decks. Um, if you wanted to win a tournament like this weekend... Oh. Okay. what would you be sleeving up green I probably would too I, I haven't <laughs> lost a game playing green not one it's brutal yeah uh, yeah yep, yep. I, I I stopped just because I'm like oh, I'll get too used to this <laughs> <laughs> I stopped because I just got bored I got bored of winning you
1: know it's a good feeling but yeah we'll be back when winning it becomes a little more scarce chasing that Hoffrey ghost forge <laughs> <laughs> adrenaline rush
0: (laughs) oh my goodness so yeah that's it crafties if you want to hit mythic and hit numbered mythic and just keep winning play mono green look at cgb's list look at my list come up with some version of it that you like and it'll probably be good and you'll do a lot of winning all right so that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. You can find us on all the usual places. If you're an audio listener, you can watch the video version on Covert Go Blue's YouTube channel. If you're a video viewer who sometimes wants to take us on the road with you or when you're doing your chores or whatever, you can listen to us on Spotify and just about any podcatcher that you might have out there. Also, just wanted to highlight that we have a Patreon account. And uh, Patreon is an excellent way that you can help keep the lights on and help keep us motivated to do this podcast. It does matter. You know, we, we look at the finances at the end of the month and it influences our decisions. So if you're feeling a little extra generous or maybe you're a Nigerian prince or maybe you just got a, came into a massive inheritance or something like that, just, uh, you know, consider stopping by and dropping a couple bucks a month you can start for as little as the price of coffee a month to support us. Pretty reasonable. Uh, lastly, I wanted to give a shout-out to our Discord. We've had a bunch of people joining over the last week, and so I just wanted to welcome all of you new Discorders. Yes, we have a Discord for the podcast. It's uh, more people joining every day, people talking about deck lists, people discussing things that we mentioned on the show. Um, we have a number of really interesting engaged community members who are just kind of waiting around to listen to your sometimes silly questions and give you reasonable answers so go go bug them so uh in the meantime stay courageous and stay lost my friends and until next time i will see you later later crafty